Awesome. So I am really, really excited. This is one of my favorite topics to teach on. So when Paula was like, hey, could you do the teaching this week? I was like, I can because <laughs> this is one of my like, absolute favorite things to teach about. Um, so I first want to get a bit of a gauge. Um, so who is very familiar, like who would put yourself like 10 out of 10? I'm super familiar with this topic. And by this topic, I mean demons, angels, supernatural realm, how it, work, how it works, all that stuff. Like who's like, I know it all. Like who would be like, Okay, so who's like, I know a few things. Like, I know, like, some stuff. Well, I would also be like, I know some stuff. I don't know everything. But who would be like, I know I know some things. Like, five out of ten, maybe around. And then who would be like, this is relatively new of a topic for me. Like, who would say this is a little bit new for me and understanding this? Okay, so there's kind of people from all the, all the zones, which is awesome. Because I think this will be helpful for everybody. Um, I would say that you might want to take some notes <laughs> or uh, it'll be recorded and it'll, it'll come up into the app tomorrow. Um, so you can listen to it during the week as well. If you want to listen to it um, later to kind of brush up on the things. All right. So basically before we get into next week, where we're talking about more of, you know, warfare, prayer and intercession strategies and tools. Um, really believe God wanted to set a foundation of understanding about the supernatural realm in general and about the authority to function in that space. Um, we need to understand that we've been assigned by God to operate in that space. So not only that, you know, we have authority, but God has actually assigned us as believers to operate within that supernatural space. And it's not supposed to be just a few people, you know, like the prayer team or like, the four people who are like really into warfare. It's actually a call of believers to operate in that place of prayer and intercession um, and with authority in the supernatural realm. And so um, I want to talk for a few minutes about having a supernatural perspective. So the supernatural is a catalyst to the natural. So how many people understand that everything that happens starts in the supernatural first before we actually see it and understand it and see it with our eyes in the natural. So that's, that's very real. Everything starts in the supernatural realm and then it manifests in the natural. And so there's something very interesting that happened around the age of enlightenment, the age of reasoning, right? So think like 1700s in American history or, or really world history, the 1700s kind of that age of enlightenment, Renaissance, reason, um, when the world really shifted a lot about how we see the world. So our perspective on the world and what affects our, our, our life, right? So the Age of Enlightenment introduced a new mentality and a new way to perceive the world. So prior to that, the, the common perception of the world, and this still would be very real in an Eastern environment, is that like spirit and natural are very connected. So whatever you believe about that, spirit, that God, those gods, that those spirits, whatever's going on, like it's very much a normal part of life that there is a spiritual aspect of life. So for that division that began to happen, that is only a recent thing. Like for somebody to say, I'm an atheist. I believe in no God, no spiritual thing, no nothing. That is like a very recent thing for someone to even have that as an idea. So for all of time, for all of people, there has been a spiritual understanding that there is something outside of people affecting life, affecting things, whether it's gods or spirits or demons or whatever it is, people have a pretty common understanding. But the problem, 
is that as we started getting into this age of reason, intellect began to take over. So instead of feeling and being led by spirit, we started to be led by our mind. And so the shift happened to where intellectualism rises higher than the spirit or our spiritual understanding or desire. And the problem with that, the Bible tells us a lot of things about that, right? Um, the wisdom of men is foolishness compared to the wisdom of God, right? The Bible tells us don't lean on our own understanding. Everything we need is actually outside of us, right? Because it's in Christ. It's not within. But reason and intellect and, and this sort of direction tells us look inward for what you need. It's not outside of you. It's within you. But the problem is the deficit that we have is only found in God. And so this relationship between the spiritual and the natural can actually not be separated. Everything is intertwined. Everything. Who, who's heard me say or who's heard anybody say something like the spirit of fear, the spirit of anxiety, the spirit of this, the spirit of that. And you're just like, why is everything a spirit? Like, has anybody ever wondered that before? Because that was literally one of the biggest questions I ever had. When I first started kind of like learning about the supernatural realm, learning about deliverance, I remember like one time I actually got like mad. I was like, whoa, here's a spirit, there's a spirit, everything's a spirit. I was like, what is not a spirit? Like, can't we just like not assign a spirit to everything? Is there a spirit behind every single thing we ever do? And, and given there isn't a spirit behind every single thing we ever do, but it is a really good question. Because I've had, you know, I've had people ask that before. Well, why, why do we always say, oh, the spirit of fear? How come we can't just say you're dealing with fear and cast your anxiety upon the Lord because he cares for you? And, it, it, you know, sometimes it can be a bit of a semantics. You know, this person calls it a spirit of fear. This person just calls it fear. And either way, if you get free, then good. But there are a lot of demonic forces at work in the world. Not everything that happens to people is demonic. And so it's really like you got to kind of toe this line, right? where you're not always looking for a demon, but if there's one there, you're going to deal with it, right? So that's kind of like the approach that I think is a healthy one. I'm not always looking for the demonic in every single thing that happens. It's not like someone coughs, you're like, whoa, you got a spirit of infirmity. It's like, you may just have a cult, but you may also have a spirit of infirmity. We don't know, right? Which is why we got to ask Holy Spirit. We got to ask questions and we want to dig deeper, but we don't want to always assume that everything is a spiritual problem, though it might be. Just so do you see where that line is? That's why we need the Holy Spirit. It's why we need discernment. But we don't want to be the kind of people where it's like everybody needs a demon cast out of them. Everything is a demon. Those, that's not who we are. But yet it would be very ignorant to say nothing is. And many people kind of tend to be more toward that line in our culture, right? In American culture, where it's like, hey, there's no such thing as spiritual health. It's all mental health. Now, is there such a thing as mental health? Absolutely. But is there such a thing as demonic affliction? Absolutely. And you'd be foolish to only choose one or the other, right? So we've got we've to gotta know that God can heal mental health and God can deliver spiritual oppression. There are different things that can look the same. But we, have, we need discernment and we need God's, God's help to understand what's going on there um, so that we know how to pray and we know what we're actually dealing with. Um, all right, so renewing our minds. I want to talk about this for one minute before I actually get into some of the other stuff. Um, and this goes along with that topic, right? Of like mental health and is this a spiritual thing or is this a regular thing? Um, the devil often keeps people in bondage purely by preventing them from changing their thinking. The Bible talks about this, Ephesians 4, 17 to 27. It says, with the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. Their minds are full of darkness. 
They wander far from the life of God um, because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you learned about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So stop telling lies. Let us tell neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. Do not sin, letting your anger control you. Do not let the sun go down while you're, anger, while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. All right, so we've talked before about strongholds, footholds, and fortresses. We, you know, we talked about that like two weeks ago, so I won't go into that too much. But a lot of those strongholds and a lot of the things that the enemy originally uses a demonic thing to plant, are actually built up and reinforced in our mind and in our way of thinking, right? So oftentimes we actually are set free by changing our mind, by agreeing in our mind first with the things that God is telling us through his word and the words that the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. And so through obedience to the word and intimacy with the Holy Spirit, you'll actually deal with, in my opinion, like probably a good amount of almost all the demons bothering you. <laughs> like if we would just renew our mind and believe the scripture and live by it, it actually deals with most things. Because oftentimes, like a lot of the deliverance and a lot of those kinds of situations that people find themselves in, it actually, you know, it, at least in my own life, this has been my experience and this has been my experience in, in praying with others. And I've, I've done it hundreds of times. So it's not just like a few people. Oftentimes it's because we are living in sin in our life and we refuse to deal with it through real talk. Um, we are not believing the truth from God's word. Or we just, you know, for whatever reason, refuse to deal with different like hurt and pain and whatever things and, and God wants to heal that stuff. So when we do all that, okay, then we can do, okay, now there might be some demonic things at work that are beyond that stuff, right? But I think it's important to deal with that stuff first. So that's why I wanted to talk for just a minute. Let's talk about the demonic and the angelic for a minute. And then I'm going to talk about what we're supposed to do about it. All right. So who has had experiences with, with actually encounters? encountering angelic or demonic things, whether in, uh, with your eyes or with your spirit. So who has had encounters like that? Raise your hand. So, so some, sometimes people think like, Oh, it's like super rare. So I don't really talk about it. Do you see how not rare it is? <laughs> Almost. I mean, most Christians in some way, shape or form, um, that's baby's bottle. Can you take that over to dad? Oh, man. Um, most people in some way, shape or form have had some sort of experience um, whether it's seen with your spiritual eyes. So who sees with their actual natural eyes? So who would say I have a gift of seeing in the spirit? So raise your hand if you actually see with your natural eyes and you see in the spirit. Okay. And then who would say I see with my spirit so I can perceive um, with my spirit and I can, I can tell what's going on, where it is, what's happening. Yeah. That's more how I am too. I perceive more of my spirit. Um, so, and the more your discernment grows, the more that you're able to perceive with your spirit as well. Um, the gift of seeing is a really cool one. I, I would love to have that one. I've only seen in the spirit a couple times with my natural eyes, but I'd say almost everyone has some sense of discernment and many of us can sense and discern in the spirit. Um, so basically I want to talk for a few minutes about angels 
Then I'm going to talk for a few minutes about demons. We're not going to get super deep into like, what are their names and what are all the things? Like, we're not going to get <laughs> super deep into that. However, I just want us to understand, first of all, that they're real. And second of all, what, why? What are they doing? What are they there for? So demons and angels are all heavenly beings, right? They all were created by God as angels, right? But then we know Satan actually fell. And it says in scripture, a third of, of heaven fell with him. And they became the angels of darkness, or so to speak, demons. But they have different levels of rank, different assignments, and different levels of authority. So that's important. They have different ranks. So think of like a military. There's different ranks. There's different assignments. And there's different levels of authority. So angels is very much an overarching term for many types of spiritual beings. The Bible talks about tons of different ones, especially in the, like, um, in the prophetic books like Isaiah, Revelation, um, Daniel. So angels are released to assist those inheriting salvation, and their primary concern is to do the will of God, Hebrews 1.14. So I'll give you some scripture, and you can actually go back and look at that scripture when you have a chance. But Hebrews 1.14. All right, they have varying levels of power and authority, like I just talked about, and they're organized in ranks. So we've got seraphim, cherubim, and thrones in Isaiah 6, 1 to 3, Ezekiel 1, 12 to 20, and Revelation 4, 6 to 8, Daniel 7, 9, Psalms 9, 4, and Genesis 3, 24. And I'm going to put all these scriptures in the app for you guys just so that you don't have to write 800 scriptures. But I'm trying to give you a scriptural basis, right? Because sometimes you're like, I don't know anything about angels. It's like, it's like literally in the Bible everywhere. Um, and so seraphim, cherubim, and thrones, those were the scriptures I just gave you. Dominion, powers, and authorities, Ephesians 1, 18 to 22, Colossians 1, 16, principalities, archangels, and angels. Zechariah 2, 3 to 5, Jude 1 to 9, or sorry, 1, 9. All right, so there's different kinds of angels, all right, different kinds of spiritual beings. Now, they deliver messages to people. That's one of the things scripture says they do. So Luke 1, 11 to 20, one, um, Luke 1, 26 to 37, Acts 10, 22. In Joshua 5, 13 to 15, it says, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a sword drawn in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as a commander of the army of the Lord, I've now come. When Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? Right, so angels all throughout scripture are sent by God to deliver messages. Um, they protect and guard specific people supernaturally. Acts 12, 15, Matthew 18, 10. I think it's actually the Acts 12, 15 account where, do you remember when the church was praying for Peter to be released from prison? And so they're praying fervently for Peter to be released from prison. And Peter is released from prison. It's Peter, right? I believe it's Peter. So he is released from prison and he like literally walks out of the prison, goes and knocks on the door of the house church that's praying for him. And they open the door and look and they say, oh no, it couldn't be him. It's probably his angel. <laughs> Do you guys remember that story? 
So angels were a very common occurrence. In the early church, there was a very normal understanding of angelic activity. Um, all right, so they released gifts and mantles from God. They accomplished specific missions and assignments. They embody the role that they carry, right? So healing, revelation, protection, peace, joy, Isaiah 14, 11. They're attracted to the presence of God, Revelation 7, 11. They fight spiritual battles, um, Daniel 10, 13. Um, an example of the fighting spiritual battles. I remember I was praying for somebody um, and this person had had just some issues with um, a spirit of intimidation specifically. And um, so I was praying for them and I saw in the spirit, <laughs> I saw in the spirit a, um, a picture of this demonic spirit of intimidation that was dealing with this person. And it had kind of had this person in ropes or shackles or some kind of thing going on. And as we prayed over them, I saw an angel come and stand behind this person and the angel stood there and it actually had like a, almost like a net in its hands. Like if you would picture like a, a rope net and it was standing behind. And as we began to pray for this person and they were um, kind of breaking off the things that were kind of giving authority. Remember the first week we talked about agreements and the things that allow the enemy to have access to our life. And so we're praying through some agreements and some things with this person. And um, as we pray, it's like this demon that was standing kind of next to them. It starts to back away. It didn't like leave, but it starts to get further and further back. And it starts to go into the background and that angel starts coming forward. And then, so this person, it was like the coolest thing, right? So this this person, they, they break agreement, they send this demon away, whatever. And as soon as they broke the hold of this demonic thing, I saw the angel put it in a net and drag it out. Yeah. So angels are serious. They, they do the work of God, right? But it's interesting. They still operate within the authority that we give or take away within the supernatural. And so that person said, no, I'm not going to give this spirit of intimidation authority in my life anymore. And so the angelic understood, okay, great. Now I can do my job and pull this thing out of here because this doesn't belong with a child of God. So that's a cool example of an angel fighting a spiritual battle. So they come to our defense. Um, they are released to do the will of God in partnership with prayers of people. So Acts 12, 5 to 10. They protect the rule of God in different geographical areas. So this is, this, this is having to do with territorial angels. Um, where there's territorial demons and there's territorial angels. Sometimes we can get really back, like, like all about the demonic side, like, oh, territorial spirits. And there's like demons ruling and principalities. And yeah, there are, but there's also angels assigned to every place. And there's angels that God sends to protect the rule of God. When God reigns in a certain area, um, Daniel 10, Deuteronomy 32, 8, 9, Psalm 82, Psalm 58. Um, they are named created beings distinct from people who have free will. So in other words, people don't become angels. So if you've ever heard, you know, somebody be like, you know, they're just an angel in heaven looking down on me. They are not. People do not become angels. Angels are distinct, <laughs> distinct, if that's a word. They're distinct beings created by God and they are individuals, but they have free will, right? So we see in, um, 
in Isaiah where it talks about how the angels actually chose to go with Lucifer and they became fallen angels. Um, so Revelation 22, 9, Luke 1, 26, Isaiah 14, 11 to 17. And lastly, they do not receive worship, but they only direct worship to God. So although they are spiritual beings, they are not worthy of worship. They're created beings just like us. Um, Revelation 22, 9, right? I believe this is when angel, when John is in heaven and the angel says, don't worship me, worship God alone. All right. So now like thinking about all of those aspects of what angels do, who they are. Now, basically demons are that in reverse. So all those things are still true. But demons are actually fallen angels. So they operate in many of the same ways, but with an opposite agenda, right? And they're under the authority of the devil, though they are distinct beings. Now, demons, just like Satan, they have a sealed judgment, right? So they are angry about that, but they have free will in the sense that they could change, or they don't have free will in the sense like we do, like they could change their mind and become good. Right? So demons are similar to angels in that they have varying degrees of power and authority. They deliver messages. They cause harm and affliction to people, oftentimes through their influence over others. So this is why Paul writes in Ephesians right, that we don't war against flesh and blood, but we work against the powers and principalities. We're working against the evil of darkness. We're, not, we're, we're never fighting against people. They release and carry out curses in assignment with the devil's will. Um, they have specific roles and assignments. So things, that's why we say the spirit of fear or perversion or unbelief or confusion or division or lust or rejection or on and on and on and on. They embody the role that they carry. For those of us who see in the spirit, um, have you guys ever noticed, um, and raise your hand if you have, that oftentimes the thing that a demon is, it actually looks like. Have you ever noticed that? So for, for those who don't see in the spirit, it's, it's interesting, right? So I saw one time a spirit of lethargy on somebody. Lethargy is, is, a, is a weird, it's a weird demon. It, it's, it was very um, hunched over like, like this, almost like hanging over. And when, I, when the person walked in, it was almost like hanging over their back, like you're carrying a bag of potatoes. It was just like hanging on them like this. Lethargy is something that makes you tired and makes you worn out. And it just, it's all too much and everything's just too much. And this person had to actually get it off of them because it was hanging over them like this. A spirit of fear. Um, one time I was praying with a girl and, and she was suffering from fear. And this, this demon, while I was praying with her, grabbed both of her wrists and held her hands in the air like this, like she was in prison. You know, like when you see in... Um, in like old school movies, you'll be in shackles with like their hands above their head like this. So that demon grabbed her, I mean like physically grabbed her like this and started dragging her around the room holding her wrist like this because it was a spirit of fear. So it was trying to cause intimidation and fear. Um, perversion. So I, I was, uh, I had a girl one time on my um, team. <laughs> we went to a conference. So I think two of us here might remember this. We went to a conference together with our team and um, she started manifesting a, like a demon, like a lust spirit, a spirit of lust is like the only way I can explain it. She got onto the ground and started like, I'm not going to do it exactly for obvious reasons, but she got on the ground and she just started like, you know, doing all these like weird lusty moves. And we were like, 
what are you doing? Like, like we were just like, what's going on? And, and she's just laying on the ground, like doing all this like weird stuff. And we were just like, no, in Jesus name, you know, she ended up getting free, but it only started manifesting because the presence of God was so powerful. And we had known this girl for years, you know, never knew that this thing was there. And so, um, you know, she got delivered and got free, thank God. But it's interesting how the demonic thing that's present, it actually has characteristics. Does that make sense? Does that, does that make sense? So they embody their assignment. Um, they are repelled by the presence of God. They hate the presence of God. Um, they work to reinforce the strongholds of the enemy, both in individuals and in territories. Right? So sometimes it only affects a certain person. Sometimes it affects a family. Sometimes it affects a region, a nation, uh, an entire group of people, an ethnic group. So the devil is the ruler of the fallen angels, right? And all of those demons have a core agenda. This is really important. They have a core agenda of leading humanity in false worship, right? So idolatry and into a place or away from the worship of God and relationship with God. So they want to take people away from worship away from relationship with God and into a place of idolatry. Why? Because they want humanity to have the same judgment that they have. They want to pull you into the sealed judgment that they themselves are already in. And so the reign and fall of Lucifer is really important to understand. In Isaiah 14, 12 to 17, this is describing what happened. It says, how you have fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. You have been thrown down to earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. Instead, you will be brought down to the place of the dead, down to its lowest depths. Everyone will stare at you and ask, can this be the one who shook the earth and made the kingdoms of the world tremble? Is this the one who destroyed the world and made it into a wasteland? Is this the king who demolished the greatest cities and had no mercy on his prisoners? So as he fell from heaven, he now is on the earth, right? All right, so let's put a pin in that. We have an understanding that spiritual beings exist and that they are working for two kingdoms that are in opposition. We have angels working for God and for the will of God. And we have demonic angels working for Lucifer and for the will of the enemy. I would, and, and so it's like, is it that simple? It's that simple. <laughs> so power and authority. Jesus is sending out his 72 disciples in Luke 10. And he describes the authority that he's giving to them. Right? So this is the authority that Jesus has given to us. In verse 10, it says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place that he was about to go. He told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse, bag, or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, Peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Um, going down to verse 9. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. 
But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this. The kingdom of God is coming near. All right. So then they do that basically. Um, and then in, in verse 17, it says, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Did he say some of the power of the enemy or all of it? All. all. Got it all from the living group. Thank you, Steve. Got it all from the living group. All the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. And then verse 20, it says, however, do not rejoice that spirits submit to you. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son or who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son and those whom the Son chooses to reveal. So Jesus is telling them that how much authority? Yell it out in your all authority has been given to him from the Father. Now the demonic realm submits to Jesus. Every single thing in the demonic realm is under the authority of Jesus. Why? So let's let's talk for a few minutes about why Jesus has given us this power and authority and that Jesus has given us, um, or sorry, why Jesus has given us this power and authority over the kingdom of darkness. So Genesis 1 and 2 is the creation account. So remember, where did, where did Satan and all his angels go when they were cast out of heaven? Earth. To the earth. That's correct. Thank you, Ian. Earth. <laughs> correct. <laughs> to the earth. Now, in the creation account, right? What it, what it, in Genesis, how does it describe the earth? It uses a word called chaos. I won't go too much into it right now, but the earth is chaos. So this is the home of Satan and his angels, a place of chaos. So it says the spirit of God was hovering over the water. So then God starts to bring order to chaos. Now, kingdom always brings order. The devil always makes chaos. It's what he does. But when kingdom comes, when God's rule comes, order starts to happen and things start to go into the place that they're meant to go into. And so God starts speaking into a place. Remember, there are already occupants on the earth. I think we've forgotten that, you know, all this is going on sometimes. We think like, oh, Adam and Eve were there and it was awesome. And they're like, all there is. Well, then where did Satan come from? How did he just slither right into the garden and like try to mess stuff up? He was there already. So he's watching all this stuff that's happening. God is creating Adam and Eve and, you know, they're doing great. All right. So God starts to create order. He places a garden. He creates people and he gives them dominion over the earth. And he creates them in what image? In his image. Now, what was the great, what was the sin of Satan? He wanted to be like God. Now, what does God do right in front of him? He creates someone like himself right in front of him. Can you see why he's a little mad at you and at me? God gave us everything that he wanted. 
we, the very, your existence is actually a part of the, his judgment. Think about that. That's like, what? <laughs> your existence is a part of judgment on the devil. So God gives us dominion, the right to rule over the earth. So nowhere does it say the current inhabitants of the earth were dispelled. We only have an assignment that God gives to us to fill and subdue the earth. Subdue means to bring under your authority, right? What would you subdue if there's nothing there? So God creates Eden, right, which is a, which is a specific place. He puts people there and he says, I'm giving you authority. I want you to take dominion. I want you to fill the earth. I want you to subdue it. In other words, I want you to expand the rule of God through you over the earth. Now, obviously, we know that that gets a little bit messed up. And we got to kind of reroute a little bit for a few thousand years. And then Jesus comes. Um, <laughs> however, our original assignment was still is still the same now as it was then. To have authority and dominion to subdue the works of the enemy and to expand the kingdom of God. That's the assignment that we have. And so Jesus, when Jesus returned, when he died and rose again and gave all of his authority to us, by us remaining in him, we actually carry on that original mandate and mission. So I don't need to go back through all the things that happened, but, you know, humanity gets enslaved by the devil, right? The roles get reversed. Um, we're enslaved. We become, you know, his, under his authority, right? And we know that because in Luke uh, 4, 5 to 8, Right? This is um, part of Jesus's temptation when, um, when the devil comes to him and he says, you know, hey, you know, why don't we, why don't you give me your authority? You know, or, or sorry, he's promising him all the kingdoms of the world, Luke 4, 5 to 8. Um, and he says, um, he, sorry, Satan is tempting Jesus to give him his power and authority. That's the temptation that he talks about in that one. And it says, this is what God had already promised Jesus, just like Adam. But Jesus had to overcome the test that Adam failed. So I will take something that I want independent from the Father giving it to me. So it's interesting because Jesus got tempted by Satan to give him power and authority. Now, Jesus knows his assignment on the earth is to have power and authority. And so it's interesting that Satan tempts him with the very thing God already promised to give him. But the problem is Satan was trying to see, will you take it outside of God giving it to you? Right? And this is, that's a different thing, but that's something that we also, we have to remain under the Lordship of Christ. And even, anyway, it's, that's a, I'll go a different way if I start going too far after that. Sorry. I can get, I can get off onto something and I'm like, that's a great sermon. I'm going to preach that, but I don't want to talk about that too much. <laughs> um, anyway, so the devil tries to tempt Jesus, tries to give him power and authority that God has already promised him. But it's interesting because the devil is still offering something he does in fact have because he does at that time still have power and authority over the earth, right? Jesus has not yet died and rose again and been given all authority. And in the garden, or Satan even says to him, he takes him to a high place in verse five and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And he says, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. Right? So Satan knows the authority and the power that was given to him and that he can give it to whoever he wants to. 
So that's a very real reality. The only way that we come out from under his dominion and authority is by coming into Christ. When we come out of the kingdom of darkness, we come into the kingdom of light. Those are actually the only two places we can be. So there's not like a medium place. We're either under the lordship of the enemy or we're under the lordship of Jesus. And so we get to choose which kingdom we want to live in. Amen. Come on, somebody. Amen. That'll preach. Preach. Um, All right. So when Jesus rose again, he gained legitimate authority from the Father. The authority we originally lost, and Jesus returns it to us through union with him. Right In Revelation 1.18, it says, I am the living one. I died, but look, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. The consequences and the power of sin over our lives are reversed in Jesus. Right, So it's important that we understand the spiritual battle that's going on. So like the angels and the demons fighting and the heavens, all this stuff. That spiritual battle is not between God and the devil. Who's ever thought that? I used to think that like the angels and the demons and God and the devil, like they're all just fighting all the time. Like I think maybe it was like cartoons from when I was a kid and you see them all fighting. Who thought that? That the battle's between God and the devil and they're just fighting it out till the end of time when the devil finally loses. Do you know the battle is not between God and the devil? Jesus already won the battle. So who is the battle between right now? In this age, us and the devil. God's already like, I already won. This is now your battle, and I'm giving you authority through Jesus to fight for this time. The devil doesn't hate God. Well, he probably does hate God. But basically, his battle is with you. His battle is with me. And so it's important to remember that. So Jesus has authority. He's given us authority, and we are in a real battle. So whether you choose to engage or not doesn't make the battle real or not real. The battle is real. You can choose to refrain from the battle. It just means that you'll lose. But we have authority given to us from Jesus to win. Amen. All right. So demonic entities still rule on the earth today. So this isn't just like a once, once upon a time, demonic entities ruled on the earth. They still rule on the earth today. But guess how they maintain their power? Who wants to take a guess? how they maintain their power. They're us. Agreements with us. Agreements with people. So this is from that spirit of fear that I just won't get rid of in my own life to the spirit of fear ruling over this whole nation. They keep authority because people give it to them. The devil can only operate on borrowed authority. He has no authority of his own. Which is why God calls us to step into the place of taking back the authority God has given to us and dethroning him from a place he does not rightfully belong. And that is in our own lives, but it's also collectively when God calls us to dethrone a ruler of the enemy from a place in our nation, in our neighborhood, in our society, or wherever the heck he thinks he can still keep authority. And so this is why God calls us as people of God to war and to battle. Does that make sense? Because you think, well, Jesus rose again. Why didn't he just take it all back and it's like all his again? Well, it will be one day in the millennium in the rule of Christ, everything will be under him. But for right now, (laughs) we're not there yet. And so he's given us the power to take dominion and to have authority on earth. 
pray. Everybody say, Jesus has given me authority over Satan. Jesus has given me authority over Satan. I like it. Bruce from the couch. Jesus has given me authority over Satan. So we'll get into that a little bit more uh, in the next weeks when we talk about actual strategies. But it's really important that every single person actually understands that. It isn't like Jesus has given people authority. Jesus has given the prayer team authority. Jesus has given that one person who's really spiritual at church authority, who prays really good. No, Jesus has given me authority over Satan. He's given you authority over Satan. And it doesn't matter if you're the loudest person in the room. It doesn't matter if you have the most assertive personality. It doesn't matter if you've dealt or done or whatever the heck your past is like. He's given you authority. And so it's important that we live with that understanding and we live from a place of conviction with that. He has given me authority. I'll get into a little bit more because we want to, we want to be careful not to swing into pride the other direction. We're like, I've got all the authority. Come down, principalities. And like, God didn't tell you to go do that, right? Because we also have to do what Jesus did where he says, he said, I only do what? Where did he get instruction? I only do what I see the father doing. So if the father tells you, get outside and cast down that principality in your city, go do it. But if he didn't tell you to do that, wait for instructions. Because remember, though the devil is operating on borrowed authority, he still has it. Mm. So unless God has given you an assignment and told you how to break that authority, don't, don't, don't run out there like demon crusader all of a sudden. You're like, I got knowledge. I know you're here. I'm about to break you down in the power of Jesus. Well, don't unless Jesus has given you that assignment, right? Because we want to stay submitted to God's will um, in, in all things, especially with things like this, though. Um, I heard a story of a guy who was a missionary in, um, in Africa. And when he first arrived, there was a tree. I can't remember if I read this in a book or if somebody preached and told the story. Um, but he was a missionary in Africa when, when he arrived. Um, I can't remember if it was somebody from his family or somebody from his team, but there was a, a witch doctor in the, in the village that he was serving or whatever. And they had this tree and the tree was basically a, a sign of authority somehow. So it was a sign of authority in this village. Everybody knew the sacred tree or whatever. And, um, the guy was told by the, you know, the villagers and all the people like, Hey, that's such and such tree. Don't, don't touch that. Don't cut it down. Don't do anything like that. Source of power you know, in our, in our village. And, um, you know, we'll learn more about this when we talk about territorial spirits more specifically, but anyway, they're like, that's a source of power. Like nobody can touch that tree. And he's like, well, I'm, I'm a believer in Jesus. I'm going to cut that tree down in the name of Jesus. You know, so he just went and cut it down. Well, guess what? He died the next day. <laughs> so that's what I'm saying. You, you don't mess with Jesus. Didn't say go cut the tree down. He said, I'm going to go cut the tree down because I belong to See, that's pride. We actually don't need to live that way. He should have said, Jesus, what do you want me to do to bring your kingdom into this village? Because probably it wasn't with start by cutting down the source of demonic power in the, in the village. Hmm. So I, I give you that story not to scare anybody, but just to, to make sure we actually understand that Satan really does have real power. Though it is borrowed, it is real. And so we don't enter spiritual battles that Jesus did not tell us to go into. And we don't try to fight demons just because we've got Jesus. We have to make sure that we're actually doing
We've gone over that supernatural activity affects personal lives and it affects groups of people, right? So that's important for us to understand. There will be personal things that God calls us to overcome with his power. And there'll be corporate things, things that are affecting groups of people, right? So whether it's a church or a nation or a region or a territory or, you know, a specific incident or or whatever it is, God will reveal. Um, But in the Gospels, Jesus declares that the kingdom is at hand, right? So he's declaring there's about to be a new ruler and a new authority over the earth. So when Jesus rose from the dead, he removes power and authority from the devil and his angels, and he gives it to us. In Colossians 2.15, it says, Then Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness, stripping away from them every weapon and all their spiritual power and authority to accuse us. And by the power of the cross, Jesus led them around as prisoners in a procession of triumph. He was not their prisoner. They were his. So this is a really powerful picture that Paul writes about in Colossians. So in Colossians 2.15, when it talks about this public spectacle, this is, a, this is an irony statement in Greek, right? Um, so it can, in Aramaic, the text has, um, has a phrase that's not found in the Greek. Um, and it says, having put off his body, he stripped powers and authorities, sorry, principalities and powers and shamed them openly. So this implies that between, you can read this in the footnotes, I think, of the, um, the Passion Translation. So this implies that between the day of crucifixion and the day of resurrection, while in the spirit realm, Jesus destroyed death, the powers of darkness, and every work of the enemy through his blood on the cross. All of the enemy's weapons have been stripped away from him, and now the church has authority in Christ to enforce this triumph upon the dethroned rulers of this world. However, an alternate translation of the Aramaic could be after sending out his body, speaking about his church. It says apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, along with the believers, right? So while sending out his body, they enforce his triumph to all the thrones and authorities, putting them all to public shame by the manifestation of himself through them. That's a lot. And I meant to re-listen to it. But essentially the point being, when Jesus rose again, it's saying that he now has made a public spectacle of all of the rulers on this earth. So everything that belongs to Satan that was ruling in territories on the earth, they now are in a procession of triumph where we as the body of Christ stepping out, revealing Christ. You know, in Romans, in Romans, it talks about how the earth itself waits for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. It's you, it's me. We walk in this sonship revelation. We walk as the identified um, body of Christ. As we reveal Jesus, we actually submit the rulers of this earth to that revelation. Does it, like, woo! I think it's great. All right. So we enforce the triumph of Christ. (laughs) Thanks, Alex. We reinforce and we enforce the triumph of Christ onto the works of the enemy. So the commission that Jesus gives us, right, to go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation, it's a reaffirmation of our original mandate to take dominion over the earth. Um, 
All right, so I'm not going to read it all, but in Ephesians 1, 19 to 21, it talks about our lives being an advertisement of the immense power of God, right? The mighty power that was released when God raised Christ Jesus from the dead. Um, And then in the end of 21, it talks about he is gloriously enthroned, Jesus. He is gloriously enthroned over every name that is ever praised, not only in this age, but in the age to come. And so it's our job, right, as believers, as these revealers of Christ, to declare to people, right? So we're declaring to people, you no longer have to remain under the lordship of the enemy, enslaved by sin and subject to death. And it's our job to speak to the principalities and the powers and the demonic realm and say, you are now under the authority of Christ. Does that make sense? So we tell the people, hey, you don't have to stay enslaved to them. And we tell the ones enslaving them, you have to bow to the authority of Jesus. Right? So that is the authority that we have. All right. And so God has given us this victory and we need to take that victory. But we can, and we can love Jesus and we can still lose the battle because we are number one, ignorant of the battle or number two, refuse to engage in the battle. So we're trying to take care of both of those things. We're trying to not be ignorant of the battle, which is the purpose of doing this time together over these several weeks so that we're not ignorant of the battle that God's called us to fight and so that we have the tools to engage so that we don't just step back and be like, well, Someone else will take care of it, or it's really not that important. It sounds a little scary, a little complicated. Look, this is our calling. This is this is why Jesus has us, not why he has us on the earth, but a reason, one of the reasons he has us here. All right. Why is it important to engage? And then I'll, I'll um, end this in about five minutes, and then we'll get into some things that Paul wants to share. It's important to engage because when the devil loses his grip over a city, a nation, or a person, their eyes become open to the message of Jesus. So I want to bring all of this home. This is not about like, let's go fight demons because it's like super fun and cool and we want to win. Nothing to do with that. It's actually annoying, to be honest. I wish I'd just all get out of the way. Like, who wants to do this? But the problem is that they're there, right? They're not going to get out of the way. The devil's a trespasser. He wants to keep all the territory he can. And remember what the assignment of the enemy is, to bring as many people as possible into his judgment. But God doesn't want people to be in his judgment. He wants them to come into the revelation of Christ. That's why we engage. It's for people to come into the revelation of Jesus and to come into the salvation and the knowledge of God. That's why we have to engage. Because when Satan is dethroned, people's eyes are open to the truth about Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 4, 3 to 4, it says, If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is only hidden from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable, listen to that, unable to see the glorious light of good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. So when demonic authority is dismantled, people's hearts and eyes and minds become open to the truth. The more hostile and closed a place is to the message of Jesus, it is a direct reflection of the amount of the levels of darkness that reign in that place. And you can look over a society and see the types of enslavement that the devil uses in that area and among those people. And obviously what's in Oklahoma is going to be different than Brooklyn is going to be different than Syria is going to be different than Zimbabwe. 
but you can look at the people and see the strategy of the enemy that he is using to keep people in a place of being enslaved and in darkness. And it's our job as bearers of light and carriers of the kingdom to come into those places and say, no, (laughs) no, I'm going to actually fight for you. Those who are bound and are unable, the scripture says, to see. Does that make sense? It's for others. Everything is about others. All right, and how do we engage? I'm going to end on this. Well, we prepare, right? And that has to do with holiness. That has to do with consecration. That has to do with our own lives. Um, I won't get into that too much. Secondly, we engage. And that has to do with our actually doing what Jesus says to do, how he says to do it, and when he says to do it. Asking God for the plan, right? When you look at all the battles in scripture, scroll through the Old Testament, you see all the battles that God calls Israel to fight. He tells them how to do it, when to do it, where to do it, who to do it with. And his strategies oftentimes are so silly that no person would have been like, you know, what's a great idea. Let's walk around that city totally silently. And then after seven days of doing this nonsense, let's just scream. And then the walls are going to fall down. Like when God gives a strategy, it's like, huh? Sometimes we're like, say what? I thought we were just going there with swords kill them, and then we would win. And God's like, you know, I'm going to have you do something so amazing. I'm going to have you worship. I'm going to have you sing a song. And then and then everything's going to fall down. And you're like, okay. You know, because God's in charge. And that's why we have to listen to his instructions. So we've got to engage how he says, where he says, what he says to do. And then the last thing is that um, we need to honor our covenant with Jesus. Right. So that's that's about our personal thing. And that's why we were talking the first week about getting ourselves in order, because we want to stay in a place of not just like keeping ourselves free from the work of the enemy in our own life. Right. Healing the wounds, getting rid of the lies, getting rid of the stuff that's trying to oppress us personally and our families, because we want to be free to to be used by God. And when we honor our covenant with Jesus, we're pushing out the things that are not from Jesus. And we're remaining under his lordship and we're staying humble to his work and his will in our life. That means dealing with sin in our life as well, right? And we talked about repentance that first week. And so we prepare, we engage, and we honor our covenant with Jesus. We keep him in a place of lordship, and that's where our authority comes from. So um, you, you kept mentioning the word assignment, like how they're on assignments. Angels are on assignments, devils are on assignments. Do, does each individual person when they're born, is there an assignment, like an angel assigned or a demonic force assigned to that person? Or does that kind of, I mean, do you know that? Or is that like more as we grow and we partner with things that, that specific angels or demons are assigned to us? I'm just wondering. Um, I would say, and then Paula, if you have anything to say on that, I'm sure you do too, but um, I would say that, yeah, I mean, there are, there is angelic assignment to your life and the devil would also have demonic assignment to your life. I, w- I would probably say a lot of the generational stuff that we deal with is a result of that. Um, also, sometimes we think that like, you know, when people say God has a plan for your life, well, so does the devil. <laughs> And it's really just going to be about like who we listen to and, and really who we, who we keep as the Lord of our life. Right. Because of course God has a plan for our life, but it's up to us to, to walk in that. Um, but I think the angelic thing, absolutely. And I know there's been times when angels shift 
Like there's like I had a friend um, where we were sitting together and she started feeling wind on her face. I couldn't see what was happening, but she was experiencing this. This wind blowing on her face. She said it opened her eyes and there was a new angel standing in front of her. And she said it looked like a warrior and it had um, swords coming out of its wings. So it's like instead of feathers, it was swords. And she said that um, the Holy Spirit, and she's like, she kept trying to close her eyes because she was afraid, which makes sense, right? All throughout scripture, people are like, an angel appeared and they're like, ah, like, because they're kind of like scary. Um, But it had swords in its wings and it said like, this angel will be with you for the next year. You know, and it was a warrior angel for what she was about to step into and an assignment that God had given her for that season. So I think um, they can interchange. But the good news is we've got all the authority over over the devil so don't be scared like he's assigned demons to me like yeah but also that you've got angels and you've got the power of god's story well when i pray over grace at night i always thank god for the angels that have been assigned to her and then i i constantly am breaking off generational curses just and i was wondering like am i doing that in, like is that in vain if i is it one and done or do we just keep praying like giving thanks for the angels assigned to our daughter and like breaking off anything that could have come in from, you know, previous generations. So I didn't have insight onto that. Well, yeah. So, um, you know, God gave us all a destiny and an identity and our identity is of course a part of our destiny. So, So I often pray exactly what you were saying, Courtney, but you pray that your kingdom destiny will be fulfilled. And thank you, Lord, that you're giving me help through the angelic forces. And on the other side, you pray and ask for authority to squelch the enemy from allowing you, your loved ones, your situation, your calling to not be thwarted by the enemy. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, your angels, uh, I think, guard our destiny. But we need to understand that. And the more we can understand that, the better it is. You know, for example, if someone has had multiple uh, situations where your life was in danger or multiple, you know, instances where you almost died, you know, the enemy wants to kill us. Mm -hmm. And if he can't kill us, he wants to kill our destiny, our kingdom. He'll just distract you. That's good enough for him. (laughs) because <laughs> that, that in essence exactly Raymond that kills your kingdom destiny right. you're not doing yeah. what you're supposed to be doing you're not fulfilling your destiny right. it's almost like if you haven't had any warfare in the wild in a while like you might want to ask yourself if you're doing anything threatening <laughs> like and I know that that's like that's kind of like it's like this kind of a reversal a little bit but so I'd be like oh I have so much warfare good it means you're doing something that makes the devil mad. So it just means you need to step up your ability to fight. You need to get some new tools. You need to, you know, learn a bit. But good. It means you're doing something the devil doesn't like. If he's full on leaving you alone, I wonder how, like, what you're doing. I, just, I mean, I'm just putting that out there. Not at anybody specific, but ask yourself that question, you know? Yeah. Any, other, any other questions? <laughs> Very true. And, and to Raymond's point, that's why we're going to talk about tools. Yeah. how you... Don't allow that to happen. You know, don't stay wrapped up in the warfare where you just can't do anything. So, you know, we can come out of it like that. Yeah. Gabriel, did you? Yeah. Um, how, do we, how do we properly interact with angels? How do we incorporate them into our, into our everyday 
Christian walk um, without them becoming something higher than God? Mm. That's a good question. That's a great question. I have some thoughts on that. Do you, um, Paula, also? Yeah, go ahead. Um, So for me, like I usually, so angels go out to do the will of God, right? They also carry um, assignments from God. Like in the beginning when we were talking about you know, they carry mantles. So, so I've learned to recognize the difference between the Holy Spirit and angelic presence. Does anyone, has does anyone else, does it, has anyone else been able to discern the difference between that before? So it feels different, similar, but different because angels carry the presence of God. So you're still feeling the presence of God, but it's hard to explain. It's from a being as opposed to like the Holy Spirit himself. It's almost like when you get around somebody who's like super filled up with God and you're like, whoa, that person's got authority. I can like feel the presence on that. It's kind of like that as opposed to when you're feeling like just that raw presence of God. And for me, um, in partnering with the angelic, I'd say I still have more like to learn about that. But so far, what has been cool is um, in deliverance a lot, I partner with the angelic. So asking God to send also um, in, in releasing new anointings and releasing new gifts, right? New gifts of the spirit um, in releasing mantles and like shifts of authority, things like oftentimes angels will come into the room healing. Um, angels will come into the room um, for uh, protection. I ask God to send angels. Like, um, for example, I was over at Chad and Shauna's house and they were in LA. Can I tell that story? It's like, yeah. I was over at their house when we were, Chad's like, no. <laughs> I was at their house in LA and, um, and they were just going through some stuff at their house. Like there was just some weird stuff at the house um, that we were sensing. And so just flippantly, I was like, well, in the name of Jesus, and remember you don't command, like angels don't work for you. Like they work for God. So you're also not like, hey, I command angels to do this and that. Like you'd be like, God, I ask you to send the angels who work for you, not for me. But I was like, Um, God, would you send a warrior angel of protection to stand at their door? And I just like said it. Then we like lived on the rest of the day or whatever. Couple hours later, I go to leave and angels, the angels affect me like physically very, um, a lot. I think it's because of the the power of God that they, um, hold right. The present. But anyway, so like a couple hours later, I go to leave the house and like, I opened the front door and I literally hit an invisible, like like boom, like this. And I fell back onto the ground, like flat onto the ground. And then I was just like drunk in the spirit, which, you know, if that's new for you, that's cool. But I was just like laying on the ground and I was like, Whoa, I was like, I forgot. Like I totally called the angel and it's there. Like <laughs> it was just like, stand- I couldn't move. And Steve had to like pick me up and drag me. I had to get at least like 20 feet away before I could kind of like get, because the power of God was so strong at the door of the house because we had asked for God to send it, right? If we didn't ask, you wouldn't have been standing there. So, you know, sometimes it's about actually asking. I can tell so many more stories about angels, but maybe Paula has someone. No, I just want to uh, reiterate what you said, Rayma, because that's really good that we don't, you know, we don't command the angels. We don't, uh, hey, Gabriel, you know, me and you, we're going to do this thing. Mm, I'm not comfortable with that. I never have been. So, you know, they're, they're God's angels and he will send them to us. He will give them to help us. But yeah, so that's, that was the main thing that I was going to say. And uh, 
Rayma, Gabriel, Gabriel comforted pretty well. (laughs) Can I clarify something? I do believe though, that we can call upon them ourselves. Mm -hmm. We don't have to go through God to call on angels because especially if they've been assigned to carry out the mission, that's the destiny on our life, Mm -hmm. then their assignment is associated with our life and the will of God in our life. And so we actually can call upon them ourselves but I, I think the perspective is, I mean, we can't ever lose sight of who is on the throne and who holds the power and who, is, you know what I mean? Yeah. They're called to help us in our assignment. So they're, they, ha- they belong to God, but they are helpers of the will of God on our life. And so we don't, obviously, I think that's a, a heart posture, Gabriel, of what you're asking is ju- of just making sure, mm-hmm. it, I think it's a personal heart thing. Um, and while I would never command an angel because they're not mine to command, I, I do feel that God's given us the authority and the permission to call on them and send them out on our behalf to accomplish something that we are in mission of accomplishing that's alignment with the will of God. Yeah, yeah. I think that's great, Shauna. And it is about like the will of God stuff. It would be similar with healing, right? That, that'd be the same reason why I would command an arm to come into alignment. Well, I'm not in charge of the arm. But I know God's will concerning the arm, so I can pray. So, yeah, like, I think that that's a good distinction. Yeah, yeah, and I agree with that. That was a good clarification about, yeah, that's good. I agree. Any other questions? I have a question. I have a couple of questions, but I'll start with one. <laughs> so, one of the things you're talking about as far as, like, not basically you're not walking into somewhere where you don't have authority, and I think I've – found myself caught up in situations before where I'm like very zealous and eager, but definitely like, you know, get myself into a little bit of trouble where I was like, Lachlan, like, you know, follow where God's calling you. But then in particular, because I remember someone's, I think it was a quote from Ronald Bunky about deliverance and saying like, if you want darkness to flee, like the gospel is the power of salvation. So make sure you preach the gospel and like the darkness will flee, that sort of thing. But then, so how do you interact with, like when it's rather than it's just like a ministry kind of environment, but like say, you know, you go into the supermarket and you notice something, you're in like a class or a workplace and you notice something like, would you say like you just simply preach the gospel, like you, you know, and then go like that way sort of thing. Or then like situations, right. Where the, I guess what I mean is the person isn't really like ready for whatever you're sensing um, and what you're discerning. And, but then also times where maybe even that's not even like what you feel like you're supposed to do. Like, you know, if I'm just walking by some random person in the street and I know I'm meant to be at a certain place, certain time, I'm like, okay, well, I shouldn't go over to them and just like yell the gospel at them. Right. And just walk away. Obviously that's not love. So how do you then like kind of navigate that of this? Yeah. Just discerning like, okay, when is the time now that I can like, engage and yeah. When do I like share the gospel, for example, but how do I make sure that I'm actually doing that like at the right time? Cause I don't want to just, like shout the gospel at someone and be like, oh, hey, I'm going to talk to you for two minutes. Let me tell you the gospel so you can be free. But that's not actually like really, you know, attending to them in a way. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah, that's a good question. And Reinhard Bonnke is an evangelist. So like it would be fully appropriate for him to say that. <laughs> preach the gospel. That's like all he would say. He'd be like, preach the gospel. Jesus. Jesus resurrected. I mean, I feel like Reinhard Bonnke could say anything and people would get saved. Like he'd be like, the blood of Jesus. And people would be like, Whoa. Like, like what he said, but, but yeah, like, I understand what you're saying, Lachlan, you know, it's like you, you're walking down the street or you're in class, you see, wow, that person's got like anxiety and depression and fear and blah, blah, blah. And the list goes on. You're like, I just want them to be free, you know? 
Um, one thing about that we have to remember about um, those kingdoms, right? Like the kingdom of light, kingdom of darkness. And who whose lordship are we under? When somebody does not know Jesus, they're not under the lordship of Jesus. And they therefore don't have authority over darkness. And so we have to be careful. And Paula, you might want to speak to this too. We have to be careful with kind of going in, hey, I can see that you need to be free from fear and depression and from this and this and this. Um, I'm going to set you free right now in the name of Jesus because they don't really have any kind of reinforcement to keep that freedom. They don't, their life doesn't belong to Jesus, right? So I do think that the gospel being preached is, is the thing there. However, it doesn't, it, it isn't always like, what does the gospel mean? It doesn't just mean, Hey, let me talk to you about something. Do you know Jesus loves you? And that's great. That could also work in a circumstance, but the gospel is the, the, the kingdom. It's the message of the kingdom, right? So that means that you could, um, I've, I've encountered somebody before who didn't know Jesus and, um, they were manifesting a demon, right? So the point of my encounter with them was to get them to stop manifesting the demon, to get the demon to be quiet so I could talk to the person about Jesus. Okay, so once I talk to the person about Jesus, now they have authority to send them away, to forgive the people, to do all the things they need to do to be free. But I don't think it's wise to, you know, cast a bunch of things out of people without um, really helping them understand the power of the kingdom. And so sometimes what I'll do is um, I had a friend who um, she did not know Jesus and she would call me and, you know, I, I had spoken to her and ministered to her quite a few times. Like she had been healed. She had seen, you know, God do some things just hadn't really come over that line yet, but she would still call me and she'd be like, I feel so much anxiety because I knew she suffered from like serious fear. And so I would say, you know what? God's going to give you peace right now. Do you want to feel the peace of God? So I'm not necessarily setting her free from anxiety, but I'm telling the anxiety to move because the peace of God is going to manifest for, for this moment. Because I have that kind of authority. And so I would talk to her and, and so do you, right? I'm not saying just me, but so do you. So you could say, hey, do you want to feel peace? So you, let's say you see somebody in class, they're full of anxiety. Say, do you want to feel the greatest peace you've ever felt in your life right now? And they'll be like, yeah, okay. And so, you know, you just pray for them. You know, I just, I call the peace of God to rest on you right now. Do you, do you feel that peace? That comes from Jesus, right? So that's a way that you can actually have a doorway to somebody's felt need spiritually as opposed to being like i'm going to cast that anxiety out of you then you're going to feel peace like i can invite the peace of god regardless of whether that person is free or not they can momentarily experience the kingdom and it gives them like oh i want that that would be my thought